Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. You know me, I'm leaky around the eyes and pretty passionate, and so it's felt all along like, uh, like this Sunday might be more than, than I could bear on my own. And it's why I'm grateful that uh, I've been able to count on your prayers in, in all of this. I don't know the exact number, but I've preached to you from the Christian scriptures uh, somewhere over 400 times. Yeah, it's a lot. And I'm an idealist in some ways, as you know, but, but when it comes to preaching, I'm, I'm a realist. I'm a pragmatist. I know that most of my sermons were used by God at a moment in time, but history has proven them to be forgettable. You can't remember 400 anythings other than the names of people. But this being my last Sunday as one of your pastors then, as I was thinking about the, the momentous occasion of all of that, I started thinking about how I could leave a lasting mark for Jesus after I've preached to you his gospel 400 times. What could I say in one last attempt that would leave a deep and lasting mark on this church or on any one of your hearts? And the answer that I came up with is, I really don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to, how to make a sermon work. I just know how to be faithful in preaching. And I have learned how to trust God's Holy Spirit. And so, uh, I'm just going to do what I've done 400 and some other times. I studied the scriptures this week. I prepared a few thoughts. And I'm going to share those with you. And then I'm just going to leave the message and all of you in the hands of God. And we'll see what he does with that. In the wee hours of uh, one morning this week, I, I kind of abandoned all of the high-minded thinking about how to make a great last sermon because I, I realized a few things. I realized, first of all, that I am out of gas. Man, I am I'm bone-weary. This uh, moving is horrible. I highly suggest that you consider gasoline in a match instead of putting your junk in boxes ever again. <clears throat> so emotionally speaking, I, I really just don't think that I could have really rose to the occasion uh, to really ring the bell this morning with some highly sentimental sermon. It's among the reasons that I abandoned any attempt to do that. Second reason is this. Sentimentality is not what preaching is about. Had I chosen to do something like that this morning, it would have been dereliction of duty in my last time standing behind this sacred desk. Third reason that I abandoned all of that kind of high-minded and emotional stuff is because I really do believe that I must finish my time with you as I have lived it all along, just faithfully preaching God's Word and trusting the Holy Spirit to make it more than Cliff's book report on the Bible. I've watched him do that an awful lot of times. I've uh, said to Laura many times as I've held her hand walking home, man, I bored me today. I bored me today. How, it must have been horrible for all of you people. And, uh, and, and strangely enough, without exception, and I mean this, without a single exception, in the times that I went home shaking my head over how horribly I had uh, handled the Scriptures and myself that day, Someone called me, texted me, came and saw me in, in the middle of the next week 
and said, Pastor, it was your very best and it changed my life. Apparently, it pays to trust God's Holy Spirit to do things that we humans cannot on our own. I remember one time in particular, uh, it was the first time in, I don't know, years and years and years that I had preached a message about the the, the, the nature of salvation, about what it is that, that, that Jesus accomplished on the cross and in his resurrection, what it can do in our lives. And it was the, it was the first time in years that I'd preached that message and made an invitation for people to, for the first time, profess their faith in Jesus. First time in a long time that I'd done that and no one responded. I mean, the vast majority of the time, if I, if I preach Jesus and the message of salvation for some reason in the way that God has decided to work in this world and to work in and through me, when I have asked that question, almost always someone or several someones have said yes. The first time that I, that I, I preached that message in this church and no one responded, it, it was just a bad day to be Cliff Purcell, you know? And I kind of hung my head and went home. That Tuesday, Valerie Schatz stepped into my office and said, Oh, Pastor, I meant to catch you on Sunday, but we had to hurry out of here. Uh, I just wanted you to know that um, in Children's Church today, I shared the message of, of salvation, and 11 children said yes to him. And said, Yes, that's definitely worth doing this about. And it reminded me uh, how, in the scheme of things, how unessential, non-essential I am to the kingdom of God continuing to go forward. And that gives me great confidence as, as I leave town tomorrow that the, the work of this church and of Jesus Christ in and through it is not dependent upon me. Tomorrow you will suffer no lack because God himself will supply your every need. And his plan for this church is far bigger than just me. So breathe easy, would you? I'm going to take a look uh, at the first chapter of Philippians and would invite you to do that with me. And as I've invited you 400 some other times, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? Lord, we pause for just this moment not just because we're in the habit of asking for this, but because it really is essential, really is important that you grant us spiritual understanding as we read the scriptures. Pretty much everybody who's gathered in, in this room has the reading comprehension skills to see what is the, the subject of the sentence and what is the, the, the predicate, the verb, and we could, we could pass a short little quiz on, on what the text actually says. It's not reading comprehension that we're asking you for. It's deep and spiritual understanding. It's insight. And sometimes, frankly, because of things like my fatigue or others' stress, our hearts and spirits grow kind of dull and dim. And so it's why this time, once again, we ask you, turn on the lights for us. Turn the, the light of truth into our hearts and then on the path in front of us so we know how to walk it out. I ask in your holy name. Amen. Reading from Philippians chapter 1, it's in the Bible's New Testament. It's a letter from the Apostle Paul, a guy who originally hated Jesus, hated the church, persecuted it, and was working uh, as though almost single-handedly he felt the responsibility to drive to extinction this message. But one day had a, an, an arresting experience 
as he was on the road to Damascus to persecute the church there, and he met the resurrected Jesus who said, I've got a new life for you. That guy then started planting churches and taking care of churches, and he sent this letter back to the church at Philippi. He wrote with his his close assistant, Timothy, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all of God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He then writes, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you because I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So my message today, uh, honestly, if, it, if, if I were preaching it in a preaching class, I'm just going to tell you C minus, okay? In terms of structure, it's a C minus. Uh, somewhere there's, uh, you know, most of my professors are dead by now, so they're rolling over in their graves somewhere as I, uh, as I do what I'm about to do. Um, it won't, wouldn't win any prizes for sure, but I just want to share with you a handful of things that I noticed in this passage, and then... I want to attempt to do too much with this sermon, which is to share with you some other things that are not found in this passage, but are very important to me as I conclude my time with you. So go ahead and write down the C minus, and um, my grade point average doesn't matter anymore, okay? First is this. As I read the passage today, I I noticed a couple of words that usually get read past, because the Apostle Paul wrote about half of the books in the New Testament, and he begins them all almost identically, and so the greeting stuff we kind of just read past so that we can get to what he's really trying to say, right? But there's two words that that appear in the beginning of almost everything that the Apostle Paul ever wrote, and, and I think he included them for a reason. I think that that the things that he said the most often are the most important or were to him. What he said to every church that he ever wrote to, what he said to the pastors that he wrote to was this, grace and peace to you from God. It's not just his, the, you know, an, an old world or New Testament way of saying, howdy. Instead, it's the Apostle Paul saying, okay, I've got your attention. Listen to me closely. God has some things for you. Two of them are grace and peace. If you've been around me much, you know I'm a definitions guy. But as much as I want to know the dictionary definition, I then want in some way to put this in in working people kind of words so that this doesn't remain out here in the realm of just religion and it becomes something that, that lives and breathes within us and changes the way that we understand God and the way that we treat one another. 
And so the, the dictionary definition for grace is unmerited favor. That never changed anybody's life. The working person's definition of the word grace is this. Permission to be imperfect and still be loved. What the Apostle Paul thought was so very important that every church and every pastor ever heard was this. That however it is that you once imagined that God looked at you, whatever it is that you think the, the, the look on his face registers when he thinks of you, here's what really is happening in his heart. He is willing to treat you better than you deserve. He is altogether willing to have relationship with you and love you in full view of the fact that you are imperfect, fallen, broken, sinful. If you hear nothing else today, please make sure that you understand this one word that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Grace to you from God. You can be imperfect and still loved by a holy and perfect God. That's good news. But he also said, peace to you. And peace is, the, the, the definition of peace in the dictionary is a united wholeness. Again, great, thanks, but what difference does it make? Here's how, uh, here's how I put it in um, the Cliff Purcell working man's translation of the Bible. You can feel that, right? My, Laura and the kids uh, kind of called me out earlier this week. Moving, as I mentioned, is horrible. Uh, the sum of all evil. And there's been a lot to do. And in just kind of the way that things have worked out during this quarantine and our transition, in some ways I've been pastoring two churches at the same time and trying to move. It's, it's been a lot. And they, they told me as I walked in the door one evening this week that every time I've come in the door in memorable history, instead of saying, honey, I'm home, I have just said, Whew. now that's different than the sound I made just a few, a few seconds ago, Whew. is different than, ah. right, Whew. is, boy, that was hard, ah. is, oh, that's better, right, peace, the, the real working person's translation of peace is that when you find yourself thinking of or interacting with God or, or some sense that he's present with you, instead of there being fear, instead of there being worry, instead of there being guilt, instead of there being shame, instead of there being this list of, I'm not worthy, or, oh no, there's all these things that I should be doing better, there's just, ah, God's here now. The load just got lighter. See, if you really believe that God looks upon you with grace, that it's possible for you to be imperfect and still be loved by him when he shows up, you don't suddenly have to try to be a better Christian. You can be you. You can relax and be at ease in his presence. And that, the Apostle Paul thought, was very, very important that every church and every pastor that ever existed would hear Grace and peace to you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First thing that I noticed from the passage, I want to make sure that you got that. Second was this, 
Uh, I've already alluded to it. God's work among you isn't dependent upon me. It is the work of his Holy Spirit that has been the real story of every good thing that's happened here in the last 99 years and, and the last nine of those that I've been here. Whatever good is going on around here, it's because the Holy Spirit has been at work and he does not quit ever. Never clocks out, never takes a vacation. He moves pastors. But the good news is that he doesn't give up on his work just because of personnel changes. He's with you. He is in you. He will keep working in and through and with you until Jesus returns for us, whether in some glorious return of Christ kind of event or you dying. He's going to be with you and in you and working in and through you every single day, every single breath until he comes for you. So watch for his hand because he will be at work. Listen for the whispers of his voice in your spirit because he will be speaking to you. Then join him in his work every time you pick up on what he's doing. Whatever it is that you're doing, when you sense God is working, drop what you're doing and join him in his thing. It makes for a pretty incredible ride, I got to tell you. Third thing that I noticed in the passage that I want to make sure that, that you hear today is this. Aim at becoming what God will want you to be when he returns. At the end of your life, you have, you have some idea of, of the kind of person that you could actually grow into and mature into and become? Do you have some sense of what God might be hoping for or what he might have been dreaming of when he dreamed you into existence long ago? Aim at becoming that. Well, gosh, pastor, that sounds a whole lot more like than let me help you with that. He tells us in this passage three things that you can do that, that will all ultimately add up to you becoming what God dreamed you would be. The first is this, just love more. You would love it if you loved more, I promise. You would enjoy life a whole lot more if you loved more. So love each other. You're pretty good at that, first Naz. You take care of each other. Love your neighbors. Understand that there is always enough love to go around, enough that you can give some away, and um, there's enough love to replace that that you can give some away the next day. So understand that while we know who the people are who call themselves part of this church family, this church exists for the glory of God and for the good of the people of this valley. So make sure that the love doesn't stop at the walls of the church, that it spills over and it splashes off of you into the lives of all the people that you know and neighbor with and work with. Love more. If you love more, you'll, be, you'll, you'll become more like him. Learn more. The passage tells us, learn more. He, Paul hoped that, the, that our insight would get deeper. You see, we've all been taught an awful lot of beginning spiritual truths. You don't have to go looking for new truths. Just look a little deeper into the ones that you already have. And God, who calls us to this, will meet you there and give you a depth of insight that will grow you and mature you in your faith. So just look a little deeper. Love more, learn more. And third, choose what is best. He said, if you love more and you learn more, you'll be better equipped to make decisions. There's something in us that, is, that in fatigue tends to kind of shrink back from doing what's best. Have you caught yourself in recent days just doing enough to get by? 
Yeah, sometimes that's a survival tactic, that's okay. But, but maybe we should set as the rule of thumb for us as the Christ followers that we should choose what's best instead of what's comfortable. I know that every time that a coach hammered me hard and made me go further than I wanted to go and made me push faster and harder than I wanted to, those are the days that I started turning into a champion. And the same thing will happen in your lives if you choose what is best instead of what is comfortable. That's it. That's the Philippians sermon. And now the grand finale, which is something completely different that gets me marked down in the sermon department, okay? Just some things that I want to share with you before we go. I should probably tell you that there's nothing new from here forward. These are just the things that that I think or hope have characterized my teaching and preaching ministry while I've been among you. It's taken me 400 attempts to kind of unpack them. I'm going to try to just put them all together in one little package for you today. This is a giant risk for me because I'm hoping that you've already learned these things and you'll kind of say them out loud with me. And if you don't, I will feel like a catastrophic failure. Big drink, Cliff. First, remember spiritual principle number one. Say it with me. God is not a jerk. Listen, he has the worst reputation in the world. People have blamed every bad thing that has happened in world history on God, and it wasn't him. God is not a jerk. I contend that that is the fundamental principle upon which all of Christian faith and the Christian and Jewish scriptures are founded. God is not a jerk. So don't expect him to be a jerk toward you. Instead, he loves you. So how do you respond to a God who isn't a jerk? Just love him back. Just love him back. Spiritual principle number one, God's not a jerk. Spiritual principle number two, I I hope you remember this one too. Say it with me. God is not a chump. Yeah, it's kind of the counterbalance. God's not a jerk. Oh, he's great. He's nice. Yep. But he is also not a chump, and he is not going to be taken advantage of and then take it lightly. And that's why it's so very important that if we receive his kindness and his goodness, that we then respond to him in respect and in obedience. I don't get to come to God for all the goodies and then give him the tall finger as I go off to do my life on my terms. God is not a jerk praise his holy name. Neither is he a chump. A word to the sufficiently wise is unnecessary. He's not a jerk, so love him back. He's not a chump, so respect and obey him. Number three, the definition of love. All the words in the Old and New Testament, Old Testament originally written in Hebrew, New Testament written in Greek, uh, all those words for love have at their root the same meaning. We say one word, love. I love my wife, I love macaroni and cheese, and I love the Kansas City Chiefs. Say it with me. It's three different meanings altogether. Laura really hopes I love her more than macaroni and cheese. That my relationship with her is fundamentally different than my relationship with the Kansas City Chiefs. She would be right. And those two languages, Greek and Hebrew, have many different words for love. And yet, all of them have at their root one idea. And that is... To prefer, to prefer. 
You can't say you love someone else unless you prefer their well-being over your own. So the definition of love that we've studied here many, many times is this. And you can say it with me if you know it. Love is a demonstrated preference for the well-being of others over and above myself, even at great personal expense by the help of the Holy Spirit. You guys have already figured out how to live that. I don't have a thing left to teach you about it. It's been beautiful to watch. Fourth thing, I probably have not said enough. Some of you will remember me saying it. Some will not. It's this. Remember who you are, and you will almost always know what to do. If, if you remember who you are, you will almost always know the right thing to do in any situation. So if you are faced with a, with a decision and you just don't know what to do, stop and start trying to figure it out. Remember who you are. Because the vast majority of people act the vast majority of the time in, in concert with their self-understanding. Whoever I think I am, that's what I'll act like. That's why you shouldn't tell children that they're stupid. Because over time, they'll start to act stupid. It's why you shouldn't tell children that they're ugly. Because over time, they'll see themselves like that and they will begin to act in ugly ways. If you just remember who you are, you will almost always know the right thing to do. And you individually, and you as a church collectively, are the blood-bought children of the Most High God and the church of the living Jesus. Don't ever forget who you are. You are a child of the Most High God, dearly loved by Him able to be imperfect and still loved by him, capable of experiencing, ah, no matter what the circumstances, remember who you are. It will help you make those best kind of decisions like we talked about before. And you collectively, always be the Jesus church in this valley. Not that the others aren't. But just make sure that you're always the Jesus church in this valley. Remember who you are. You almost always know the right thing to do. Last thing. Thank you. I have learned... No, I haven't. I have learned not to speak for Laura. That's not true. I always say that I've learned not to speak for Laura, and then I speak for Laura. I'm going to speak for you today, and for you, and for you, and for a couple other Purcells who are not in, uh, not in the valley today. The Purcells love you, and we always, always, always will. I'll just say as the Apostle Paul did, it's right for us to feel this way about you because we have you in our hearts. At the final amen today, I'll no longer be your pastor, but I will remain your brother in the Lord Jesus, always and no matter what. No matter where the wind of the Spirit 
takes my family and me or you and yours, I will always be your brother in Christ. I find great comfort in that. I find great joy in that. You will soon enough, it probably won't seem soon enough, but you will soon enough have a new pastor. Love him or her like you have loved me and mine. Let that person become your next pastor. You don't have to save space for me. You're not choosing between that person and me. Because I'll no longer be your pastor. And, and, and hear this in the right tone. Because of the decisions that we've made. I, I don't want the place of being your pastor anymore. It's not for me to hold on to. But I will always, 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 always be your brother and your friend. My family and I have treasured our time among you. Um, in, the, uh, in the great injustice of the way this world works, you're getting rid of a much better pastor than you got nine years ago. About the time you got me broken in and, and helped me grow up and mature. The Lord's sending me elsewhere. I'll let you take that up with him. But I want to offer to you my sincere and deep and heartfelt thanks for the ways that you have been patient and the ways that you have been loving and the ways that you've been kind and the ways that you have said, hey, Cliff, maybe you ought to think about that and unsay it. There been some of those conversations. The ways that you've forgiven me And the ways that you've accepted forgiveness from me. It's made me a better human. It's made me a better follower of Jesus. And it most certainly will make me a better pastor from here forward. So I just want to say thank you. Uh, never seem to be a guy who runs out of words, but suddenly I have. So I could just leave you with uh, we thank you and I love you. Would that be all right? Then pray with me. Nine years ago, Lord, I, I had all kinds of ideas about what might happen. That's just funny. Like I could know what tomorrow holds. If nothing else, Lord, I want to thank you for, for what I will probably from here forward call the, the quarantine effect. It has shattered the illusion that I have any idea what tomorrow holds. We've all said we don't know tomorrow, but we have lived like tomorrow will be just like today until just a few weeks ago when, um, when all that just kind of got straightened out do not know what tomorrow brings, as Gretchen led us to sing earlier. 
So I couldn't have imagined how good it would be to get to be one of the pastors at First Nez, to meet the fine people of this valley and be loved by them. Lord, hear my heartfelt thanks. I, one more time, entrust my church family to you. I'm, I'm going to uh, pastor a people now that I literally have never met. They, uh, they, they seem to be welcoming us with open arms, but they can't possibly be family yet because family just takes some time. I bless them, but today, Lord, I want to thank you that you have kept your promise Jesus, you said, I tell you the truth, no man who leaves houses or lands, father or brother, sister or mother, for my sake, will fail to receive a hundred times as much. And you've been good for every bit of it. You gave me a family when I left my last one. I thank you for all these dear people. Counting on you to keep keeping your promises. I entrust my family, the Purcells, and the First Nez Church family to you. May it be with us as you have decided. To your great glory. In Christ's name, we pray these things. And God's people together said, Amen. Amen.